The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Would you look with me in Romans 11? This is the word of God, inspired and errant and infallible, that is read in your hearing. Romans 11 and verse 33. Oh, I love this text. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has given a gift to him that it might be repaid for from him and through him and to him. Are all things to him be glory forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. If you'll make your way back to Isaiah chapter 9, please have it in front of you, right there. We're going to jump back in. Um, in our Advent study of this wonderful... By the way, this prophecy is amazing. I'm very grateful for the pastors and the elders that encouraged me to go ahead and tackle it uh, this year. Now remember, Isaiah is writing this text. Isaiah is writing this prophecy. And I dare say, of all of the 60-plus prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament, of all of them, this may be the most foundational the one that's most pervasive, that works in and throughout so much of the New Testament, the Gospels where it's quoted, and then beyond that, as it is referenced and as it is carried out into its infer- inferences. It is an amazing text. In fact, Cindy and I, of course, you know it was crucial, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, crucial uh, in the writing of Handel's Messiah, which is how we end the Hallelujah uh, Festival, the living portraits of Christ. And um, and so we hear it every year. Uh, it's That was the foundational text. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the end and the increase of his government knows no end. So there is this glorious text. It has it has infiltrated carols, hymns, concertos, oratorios, and it infiltrates the New Testament. It is it is enhanced, it is expounded. And Cindy and I went, this is not a technical survey. Cindy and I went and we were um, checking our, Chris, our Christmas cards and right now 40 to 50 percent of them quote Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, it is clearly the go-to text. So let's go to it. Let's try to understand it. And um, But here's the key. Isaiah's writing this over 700, 700 plus years before it's fulfilled in Jesus. 
He's writing it 700 plus years. And don't forget, he has just spent eight chapters showing the consequences of sin and disobedience in the lives of God's covenant people, Israel. And the pervasiveness because of sin, of gloom, of despair, of death, and of anguish. So I'm about to date myself. As I have been studying this text and I go back to try to understand the context where he emphasizes the consequences of sin and how it has rendered the pervasiveness of gloom and darkness and everything, one song kept coming back to my mind. One song. It, in fact, I've got to go back 53 years when I was dating Cindy. I had her talked into marrying me, but I had two obstacles, her dad and her mom. And I understood their objections. So I was on a full strategy to win them. And one of the ways I did it is when she would come home for the weekend from college and we would date that weekend. And then I would offer to take her back so her dad didn't have to make the trip back up to Chapel Hill. So I offered to take her back. And that was, of course, not sacrificial at all. I delighted to take her back. to I still remember it. Keenan Dorm. I still remember it. And that's where I would take her. And we had to be there by 12 o'clock because a lady armed with a bazooka was the house mother. And so she had to be in at 12 o'clock. So there's where we, that's where we would go. But on Sunday night after church, the Millers would come home and watch two programs. And that one was Jackie Gleason and the other was my future father-in-law's favorite program, which I could not stand. But I wasn't a Christian yet, so I didn't mind lying about it. And, uh, and it was hee-haw. <laughs> that was, and I still remember hee-haw. And some of you do have no idea, but it still lives forever on cable land. You can go find it. You need to go find it. And there's a section of hee-haw every week where Junior Samples and Roy Clark would sing a song. And that song I cannot get out of my mind. That song was ever before me. And my grandfather, my future father-in-law's over there shedding tears. Listen, I'm shedding tears, but it's a different reason that I'm shedding tears. And I can still remember it. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, I feel so sorry for the young people of today. (laughs) Our music was so culturally uplifting. I mean, who can forget sitting in my yaya waiting for my la-la? I mean, who can forget that? Or who put the bump in the bump, she bump, she bump? And who put the ram in the ram lama ding dong Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my baby fall in love with me. What culturally elite enhancing songs we pulled out. But none of them matched hee-haw, I'm telling you. None of them. 
But I could not get it out of my mind every time I read the first eight chapters and then came to verse 1. And the promises of a Messiah king and the Messianic kingdom. You see, here's what Isaiah has done. He has shown the decadence, the depravity, and the decay of the kings of this world and what they have done in the promised land and how the people have followed these ungodly kings. He has traced it from the heights of David, now descended to Solomon, who by the end of his reign has placed idols of child sacrifice in the temple. And then the divided kingdom. And then except for periodic revivals in about the lives of five kings, each one took the people deeper and deeper into rebellion against God. And the result was a pervasive gloom and darkness that surrounded and penetrated and permeated the people of God. And God's answer was a king and a kingdom, a Messiah and a kingdom. No king like this king, no kingdom like his kingdom. And then he tells us what this king is going to do and what he promises to do and what all who are in his kingdom enjoy. And then he says, then he tells us how he's going to do it. And then he tells us about the king, who is going to do it. Now, I know many of you were here last week as we went in to set up this study, but I know many of you weren't here for various reasons in the holiday season. So I'm going to take a moment just to review it very briefly, those three promises and those three fours, which is how he's going to do it. Take, go back with me to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Here's what he says. But there will be no gloom. He has just described the gloom that is pervasive throughout God's covenant people, throughout the promised land. <clears throat> he says, but there is coming a day where there will be no gloom for her, for her who was, what's there now? Gloom and anguish for her who was in anguish. Now, in the former times, he brought into contempt. Here's how the contempt of rebellion before God. God brought the contempt of his response to that rebellion in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are two tribes in the north, the extreme north of Israel and the promised land that through them now you got to understand something you got Europe you got Asia you got Africa and the land bridge was Israel and everybody went right through there all the time and so whenever an empire rose that empire would come right down what was called the highway of the sea and it would capture the bridge that's what they would do now the gloom that was there in the days of Isaiah had basically been produced by the unfaithfulness of the kings who had not honored the Lord, but had exalted themselves and brought anguish and gloom and despair in the life of those people. But 
as much gloom as there was and the promise that there was going to be the answer, the gloom that was there as pervasive as it was, the worst was yet to come. Because when Isaiah finishes his prophecy, right through those two tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun, right through the northern part of Israel, will sweep a pagan barbaric empire called Assyria and will capture ten of the tribes and amalgamate them and take many into slavery, this empire of Assyria. And then... Just barely a century later, another empire, the Babylonian Empire, will sweep down through Zebulun and Naphtali, now to the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and will desolate and make desolate Jerusalem, will destroy the Solomonic Temple. And all of that will be ultimately destroyed. And the anguish continues. No longer the temple, no longer the songs of Zion as they are taken into slavery for 70 years. And then will sweep, like the Bible says, like a leopard, this rapid, devouring animal, another kingdom. And uh, I'm sorry, then will sweep like a bear, another kingdom that will just take and gobble up everything. And that's the Medo-Persian Empire. Then comes the sweeping, rapid empire of Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. And then finally, the iron hand of the Roman Empire. Not only would there be gloom when Isaiah writes, the gloom is going to deepen. The anguish is going deeper. And it will do so for 700 years. It will even include 400 years of silence. No word from God. No prophet. The gloom is pervasive, the despair is pervasive, but in the midst of that, in the same place of Galilee, a king will come. And in Galilee of the Gentiles, he will preach. His hometown will be Nazareth. Then his adopted hometown for ministry will be Capernaum. And he will go around Chorazin and Bethsaida, Magdala, all of those cities. And he would preach and he would teach. And in, and the first promise is this, sin's gloom will be displaced by the joy of the Messiah. That this one, thou in the same place where this gloom and despair has come, through this gateway into Israel, now in the same place it will become glorious. The highway by the sea will bear the footsteps of the Messiah King, and this land beyond the Jordan, even the land of Galilee, will become the place from which joy begins to dispel gloom. Sin's gloom is displaced by the joy of the Messiah. But he doesn't stop there. Here's a second promise. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. Not only is there gloom, but there's darkness. And sin's darkness will be displaced by the light of the Messiah. Yes, there will be the darkness of sin. Yes, there will be the darkness of silence for 400 years. No preacher, no prophet, no word from the Lord. 400 years. And yet, 
God will finally speak and the word becomes flesh. And the light that lights every man comes into the world. And sin's darkness is displaced by the Messiah's light. Then the third promise is in the next verse. You have multiplied the nations, have increased, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This Messiah will do such a work that a harvest of redemption and no longer will the people of God be an off, an off-site remnant. But now a multiplied royal nation that is taken from all the nations of the world. And now the royal nation of the king from all the nations of the world. From those who come from every tribe and nation. And now this multiplication of the kingdom will take place. No longer a discouraged remnant. But now a joyful multitude coming from every tribe and nation. This Messiah king will accomplish And so he not only replaces the gloom of sin, the darkness of sin, he also displaces the dominion of sin by the triumph of this Messiah. Well, how is he going to do that? How is he going to accomplish this? Hundreds of years of gloom, despair, hundreds of years of agony and anguish is there. And it's not only by the inward eating of false and ungodly kings in Israel, but now the kingdoms and empires of this world have come in and invaded them and has washed through them and dominated them and devoured them and made desolate all that is there. And then comes this King And this king comes to do a work that displaces gloom, that displaces darkness, that displaces the dominion of sin. How will he do it? Uh, he, he answers that with three fours. Look at the first four in verse four. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. How will he do it? He will come in and with the remnant... He will win the victory, and the battle is the Lord. There will be the emancipation of all of his elect from the oppression of sin. He will break the burden. He will break the yoke. He will break the rod that would oppress. The dominion of sin will be broken. He will do a work that removes the power, the penalty, the shame and the guilt of sin. He will do a work that gives a new heart in place of a sinful heart. He will do the work that gives a new record in place of an old sinful record. He will do this work and he will be the one who emancipates all of his from all of their sin for all of eternity from the oppression of their sin. And then that dominion of sin that's been broken, he then will do a second thing that he will accomplish. And that's in verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He will triumph over all of his enemies and their weapons, their political power, their military power. Their economic power, all of their power, he will establish something much more power. It's the power of the gospel that emancipates men and women from their sin through the righteousness and blood of Jesus Christ. He will triumph over all of his enemies and their weapons. 
And when he comes again, having defeated his enemies, he'll destroy his enemies. And all of them, Satan, sin, death, hell, the grave, and all of those weapons of the flesh will be cast into the everlasting fire of judgment. Every single one of them. And he will have won the weapons. He will have won the war over his enemies with his weapons. The sword of the word. Handled by the Spirit of God into the hearts of men, bringing forth death to life. Instead of bringing death as Satan, the liar and the murderer, has done from the beginning, he will bring forth life. And in him, you can become a new creation in Christ. Who is this Messiah? Well, that's the third four. He will emancipate. He will break the dominion of sin. He will emancipate and triumph over all of his enemies and their weapons with his weapons and his kingdom. The weapons of the Spirit and the hands of the Lord, the armor of Christ, will be, will be established for the work of his kingdom. And then who is this one to do it? Look, verse 8. For, I'm sorry, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. To who? Not to Joseph. To who? Not to Mary. Not the appointed father. The adopted father. Not the appointed mother. But to us who have been in anguish, gloom, darkness, death, agony, under the dominion of sin, its guilt, its shame, its power. To us, a warrior king has been given. And who is he? A child is born. A son is given. And in that simple statement that we repeat is not only this monumental statement, this child, son, has been born to us that we might be born again in him. But then we're told about him. To us, a child is Born the humanity of this king. God's not born. This is one who comes as a man. From embryo to death and a tomb. And from it. He has a true human body and a true human soul. By a man came death. Now by a man comes the resurrection of the dead. But this isn't just any man. This is God having come in the flesh. Unto us a child is born. Next statement. Unto us a son has been given. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever 
believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Emmanuel, God with us, God one of us, God among us, God taking our place for us. That gloom is displaced with joy, darkness with light, and sin's dominion is broken because all of his enemies, he has triumphed over them. And the resurrection declares that. Now look at what he says. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now we find out something else about him. He comes from the line of David, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Here is a kingdom, a forever kingdom, a kingdom that cannot fail because the king of this kingdom cannot fail. And to make it clear where we are putting our hope, notice what he says at the end. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The same passion that Christ displayed to go to that cross to redeem us, that same passion from heaven, he is ruling and reigning for that kingdom to go to all the nations and the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations and all of the elect from every tribe and nation. He will not lose one of them. And the same passion and zeal of the Lord that sent him to the cross, now from the throne will bring all of his people to himself. For all of eternity. He with his passion and ardor. Will accomplish this. And who is he? He is of the line of David. Who is he? He is fully man. A child is born. Who is he? God with us. The son has been given to us. That we might be saved in and through him. And his name shall be called. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, maybe you, like me, are reading that, and you're thinking, if I had to preach that, I got a problem. So I'll let you in on my problem. He just articulated four, and our own Dr. Paul House and his commentary on Isaiah has rightly identified those as four throne names. These are names of regal entitlement. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But notice, it doesn't say, His names shall be. It says, His name, singular, shall be. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what is He telling you? Here's what He's telling you. Those four names make up the name of Emmanuel, Jesus, in his regal glory. And they are interdependent, they are interconnected, and they are intradependent and intraconnected. In other words, you can't have his name without 
all four of those titles. He can't displace gloom with joy, darkness with light, and death with life, and the dominion of sin with the dominion of grace. He can't do that unless he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Because he's the wonderful counselor, he knows what to do and how to do it. Because he is the mighty God, he can do it. Because he is the Father, he now has those whom he has begotten through what he does. And now, we who were enemies, we now have him and we have peace. He's the Prince of Peace. The four build on each other and they're interconnected. And if any one of them is not there, the others can't be there. And so what's the very first one? Wonderful counselor. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. In fact, you probably have already thought this. Harry, wait just a minute. You've got four titled names that give us the name of our Messiah King, the child who is born unto us, the son who is given to us. But the only problem is, Harry, there's not four. According to Calvin, there was five. And according to the King James Bible, there was five. And according to Handel's Messiah, there was five. Can't you sing it now? Wonderful, comma. Counselor, comma. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We sing it every year, right? Why do we do that? Well, I think we're inaccurate on that. Well, Harry, are you saying there's errors in the Bible? No, 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 no. The Bible in the original autographs does not come with punctuation. It doesn't have periods and commas. It doesn't have that. That's what interpreters and translators put in. And with all due respect, I know I may get stoned after this. The King James Bible was wrong to put the comma after wonderful. It should have been after counselor. Now, the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version Bible, they got it right. That's where it belongs. Now, we are not, let me, let me let all of you read, we are not going to redo Handel's Messiah. Because actually, wonderful is a name for God. In fact, my grandmother taught me that when I came home from the first grade from Acock Elementary School in Greensboro, North Carolina. Every day, she had set me down. She had put my black puppy dog, which is still on my bed. She had put my black puppy dog on my... It, by the way, it's a, not a real puppy dog, just so you know. It's not 53 years old. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cloth puppy dog. And she'd put it on my lap, and we would sing, Isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Eye has seen, ear has heard, it's recorded in God's Word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? So his name is wonderful. But here, the wonderful is not a noun, it's an adjective. He's a wonderful counselor. Now, I've got to tell you something else. That does not mean Jesus is your therapist. <laughs> counselor, you got to go back 2,000 years ago. Counselor was the second most important person in a kingdom. King number one, and every king got a wonderful, got a counselor, the best one they could find. In your Bible, you've got three of them that you study. Pharaoh made Joseph 
his counselor. Daniel in two empires and five dynasties was a counselor. Two empires, Babylon and Medo-Persian, five dynasties. Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, um, Darius, Cyrus, and Nehemiah, though a different name, was also serving as a counselor for Artaxerxes. So every great king knew I need a wonderful, what was a counselor? A counselor had three, had a three-fold profile. He was a, he, he was to be known for wisdom. He was to be known as a strategist, a political strategist, an economic strategist, and most of all, a military strategist. Remember all the strategy that Joseph came up for with Pharaoh? And so that's what, and Daniel came up for Nebuchadnezzar and later for Darius. You see, that's what they were. They were strategists, political, economic, military strategists. And number three, they were trustworthy. They weren't governed by ambition for self. But they were able to humble themselves. They were trustworthy. Now comes our king. And he doesn't need to secure a counselor. For there's no counselor greater than him. He is wonderful. There's a young man in this church. I don't know who he is. He's eight years old. Because I, forgot, I talked to his grandparents last week. And they were sitting there talking with me. And they said, you know what? My, my child was um, in class a couple of months ago. And they were teaching them about prefixes. And a prefix, and particularly about the prefix I-N. Prefix is what you put in front. You fix it in front of a word. Auburn, Alabama, they taught you that, right? Okay, you got it. And she says to him, tell me a prefix that you can add to a word. And when you add it, it means the exact opposite of what the word means without it. And without batting an eye, he said, incomparable. There's no way at eight years of age I would have ever come up with that. No way. Incomparable. Comparable, well, you can compare it to something. Incomparable is the exact opposite. There's nothing to compare. That's what the word wonderful means. Incomparable. Who can be his counselor? Who advises him? Who creates a better strategy than him? Who is more trustworthy than the one who humbled himself to take upon himself humanity and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross? He is his own counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. He not only knows what the problem is, he knows how the strategy that is required must be implemented to solve the problem. There's a virgin birth. There's a perfect life. There's an atoning death. There is an empty tomb. There is a resurrection. 
There is an ascension. And there is the promise of His coming again. There is the establishment of a kingdom now that exists because this King came not to bring judgment, but this King came in humility to bear our judgment. And there is a kingdom now, but not yet in its fullness. Its fullness will be when the King returns. See His strategy. And when He returns, He comes. This time He comes not simply to defeat His enemies. When He comes again, He destroys all of his enemies. See his wonderful wisdom, strategy. See his humility. See his trustworthiness. See his desire that the Father be glorified and all that the Father gives him will be saved. Then he gives the strategy from heaven as he intercedes for us. To take the gospel to all of the nations that we might come to Christ and know his glory. His wisdom here in Christ is wisdom personified. The word became flesh. Here is a strategist who is incomparable. Here is one who is loyal. So here's your takeaway. Here's your takeaway. The Messiah King who needs no counselor to save his people from their sins. He needs no counselor. How do you get rid of the gloom? How do you get rid of the darkness? How do you get rid of the dominion of sin? He knows what needs to be done and he knows the strategy to get it done. He needs no counselor to save his people from their sins. But here's something that's glorious. You can't leave here without this. He is the same King who promises to be the ever-present counselor. In your life. This one, when there was no way for us to be saved, no way to get rid of sin's gloom, no way to get rid of sin's depression, death, anguish, agony, no way to get rid of it throughout all of humanity, no one was worthy to open the the seals. But this one who is worthy has come. He knows what the problem is. He knows how to solve the problem. And it's not a strategy of simply a plan. The strategy is him himself. He is the one who wins the victory for his people. And he pays the full cost that our debt is removed. And we are accepted in him. And he doesn't stop there. This one who is Jesus. It's not our religious insights. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through him. And when you come to him and through him, he becomes the way, the truth, and the life for you. This is my identity. My identity is not my job. My identity is not my ministry. My identity is Christ. He is my life. He is life. And amazingly, he now becomes my counselor. Is this true? I can't wait to hear his wisdom from his word. I love to read it, to hear it preached. 
is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you? That's the only way you're going to get gloom. Listen, it's not a coalition with the world that's going to take care of the gloom. It's not a pharmaceutical answer. It's not a human education answer. The answer is Christ. And that answer, He is there for you as the way, the truth, and the life. And then he'll be with you. Don't you love that on the road to Emmaus? You remember the two? They were gloomy. They were discouraged. Remember the two people on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus? On the first day of his resurrection, he comes up and he says, Why are you so downcast? Oh my goodness. We thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought Jesus was the one. We thought Jesus was the answer. And now he's not only been crucified, but people are telling us his body is stolen. What in the world's going on? And then he sat down beginning. He, he, he gave them wisdom and the understanding of the strategy that beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets and the Psalms he says these things are fulfilled in me and then he opened their eyes and their heart when he opened the scriptures to them and that is what God's people hunger for he is my way truth and life nothing's more important than my incomparable strategist and wisdom personified and he speaks by his spirit through his word as it is preached and displayed and studied and embraced he is the way the truth and the life so let me just say one final thing and we'll close in prayer. Here's the reality. Everything I just told you that I just said, Jesus, he knows, he knows the problem and he knows the solution. Virgin birth, rejected life, atoning death, resurrection, ascension. He's coming again. The world says that's foolishness. We say, Incomparable counselor. The way, the truth, and the life. So where are you today? Where are you today? Where are you today? My heart beats for you. Where are you today? I know you're in a church building, but are you in Jesus? Are you in Christ? Before I left Charlotte, I had a debate Every single, every single quarter with a guy who was an atheist, very popular. We were on a radio station that literally went from Maine to Florida. And we would have a debate. And we actually became really good friends. In fact, he's the last guy I talked to when I left Charlotte to come to Birmingham. To plead with him one more time to come to Christ. I'll never forget our first debate. As we're sitting there talking, he said, Harry, I really like you. But... You're obnoxious. And I said, why? He says, you keep telling everybody that if they don't trust Jesus, they can't be saved. That's arrogant and obnoxious. I said, no, no, no. no. I, did, I want to promise you something. I did not sit in the corner and come up with that. I am merely reporting to you what John 17 says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. I'm reporting to you not what I said, but what he said. I'm simply saying I am a amplifier. I didn't come up with the message. I'm just giving it to you. 
And of course, come the questions from Maine to Florida. <laughs> it was a, that was an interesting moment. And then he said to me, he said, well, he said, I just don't believe it. And I said to him, Jerry, <laughs> I said, here's the fact. I do, you don't. So we got three possibilities. One, I'm right, you're wrong. Two, you're right, I'm wrong. Three, we're both wrong. But let me tell you what's not possible. We both can't be right. And the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life is the gospel message of Christ the Savior. Foolishness or the way, the truth, and the life. Now, you know what he said to me next. No, you don't. I'll tell you. I knew you'd do that. You're not going to put me in your box. I said, oh, no, no, Jerry. I'm not trying to put you in a box. I'm praying you'll be set free. Gloom, death, despair, and the dominion of sin. It's guilt and it's shame. Gone. And today can be a forever life for you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Thank you, dear Jesus, for all of your wonderful, glorious grace. The one who at the moment of creation needed no counsel and the moment of redemption needs no counsel. But you enable us to be counselors of others. You enable us to be filled with your spirit and your word so we can tell others of your wisdom and your strategy so that they can be saved, not through the strategy, but through you, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Father, please allow your people today to know what those disciples on the road to Emmaus enjoyed that day can be theirs every day. As Jesus, you speak through your word by your spirit that our hearts would be lifted up. We would be liberated and the joy of salvation fill our soul. But the joy of our Savior is incomparable. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.